I know that if I walk up to preach and I'm a little bit lightheaded from like, uh, you know, not getting enough oxygen, will you sing a good song? So uh, I'm hyperventilating when I get up here. I know that, boy, good job. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. Good to be worshiping with you this morning. Um, I heard a story about a guy who went to a new doctor for the first time and he went in for a checkup, and the nurse was kind of taking care of the preliminary stuff, and the nurse asked him, well, how much do you weigh? He said, I weigh 160 pounds. She put him on a scale. He weighed 195. <laughs> she said, how tall are you? He said, I'm 6'2". She measured him. He was 5'9". <laughs> she took his blood pressure. She said, sir, I, I don't want to alarm you, but your blood pressure is really high. He said, well, of course it is. When I came in here, I was tall and thin. Now I'm short and fat. <laughs> And I guess there's things about all of us that we wish were a little bit different, right? There are some things about all of us that we wish we could change, things that we wish weren't quite the way they are. And I think that's true probably of everybody here. Things about us physically, financially, professionally, and I think probably spiritually as well. I think we're honest with ourselves, we look at our spiritual life and we wish we were a little bit farther down the road. We wish there were some things a little bit different about us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And we could talk about what that might have been that was Paul's thorn in the flesh. A lot of people have speculated about that. Whatever it was, it was something Paul wanted God to change. There was something about Paul, apparently physically, that Paul wished was different. God, Paul wanted God to know, this is slowing me down. I want you to change me. And, of course, three times Paul asked for that, and God tells him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's a really significant statement. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And it's a significant statement because we all have weaknesses. We'll all agree, again, that there's things about ourselves that we wish were better, we wish were more, we wish we were stronger in. Here at Bay Area, we have been talking, listen to this, for over two years about adopting a more 242 focus, referring to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where we read about those first century Christians being devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. It's been two years since we brought that up. I went back and checked those banners that are in the lobby out here. I ordered those two years ago. It was February of 2020 when we got those. And then, of course, March of 2020 happened. And everything changed. And I'll be the first to admit to you that we have had our share of frustrations and our share of starts and stops and difficulties in transferring what we know and what we talk about into what we do and how we live our lives. It's just been a slow process 
in shifting from what we talk about to, to how we're living. And before you amen that statement, let me ask you to listen to me with a little bit of grace and a little bit of patience. And I'm going to tell you something that you all are aware of, but you might not appreciate it in the context of church. And that is this. These past two years have been hard. It's just been a hard season to do life and to do life together. You know, this pandemic that we're still, I guess, still in, obviously we are, it's been tough. We all have known people, many of you, many of us have been sick, some of you very sick because of this thing. The reality of COVID-19 and the fear of COVID-19 has affected us. We all know people who have died from this virus. And we all know members of our family and our church family who are compromised physically in some other ways. And the idea of getting sick with this virus is terrifying. I get that. So the past two years, again, we've had a lot of starts and stops. And I've had people tell me, well, it just seems like we're treading water. Yeah. Do you have any idea how much energy it takes to tread water and not drown sometimes? We have been dealing with a set of challenges that uh, none of us have dealt with before. We have been dealing with situations that are so fluid, it seems like it changes almost week to week, let alone month to month. You know, we gain traction, we lose traction. There's, everything's under control, then there's this terrible outbreak. And no one's sick, then everybody's sick. And, and I don't know whether we've done it right or not. I guess in 10 years we'll be able to look back and see how we we should have handled things. I don't know if we're handling it right or not. I really don't. But I do know this. I know that our shepherds have been prayerfully trying to lead us where God wants us to be. And I know that our, our ministry staff has worked at trying to encourage us and keep us serving and loving and while you might disagree with you know, my take on some of this stuff, I think we all will agree God's in control. Through all of this, God has been and God continues to be in control. And I am convinced, and I know you are too, that God's still up to something. And that right here, right now, in this place, in our family, God has a plan. And God's at work. So as we look forward to this 242 focus, and I've been telling you, especially this month, by the time we get to the end of the month, there's going to be some expectations. But as we kind of work toward that, um, I want to share with you some thoughts this morning, and I want to preface my thoughts with this. Um, If you've ever been a child or if you've ever ridden in a car with a child, you know that there's a question that gets asked anytime there's any kind of lengthy trip between a child and parents, and it gets asked early, it gets asked often by the children, are we there yet? We've all been asked that question as parents, we've all probably asked that question as children, Um, and it's usually asked with a whining, obnoxious intensity that is designed to drive parents crazy. Are we there yet? And actually, there is a psychological phenomenon attached to this called destination impatience. It is a real thing. It's an actual thing. People get very anxious about arriving at their destination. 
and they stress over it, and it manifests itself very young in children with the question, are we there yet? Now, foolish parents, rookie parents, new parents, naive parents, will sometimes try to give their children like a false sense of security. And they'll say things like, we're almost there. We're closer than we were. It won't be long now. Now we're getting there, things like that. I never said that to my children. When my kids asked, are we there yet? I always told them, no, we're not there yet. We're not almost there yet. We're not close to being almost there yet. The road that we're traveling on, it goes on and on and on. And the more times you ask that question, just it's going to be longer. We're going to be stuck in this car forever if you don't quit asking that question. So be quiet. Sit back there. Amuse yourself somehow. I will let you know when we get there. All three of my children have told me that their therapists have helped work through that trauma. So it's probably not the best way to handle it. I'll admit that. But that question, are we there yet? It's part of the human condition. In fact, I think it's part of the human spiritual condition as well. We long to be there. We long to get there. We have this destination impatience. And you see that early and often in Scripture. All the way back in the book of Exodus, God's people are slaves in Egypt. And God hears their suffering, their cries, and God contacts a guy by the name of Moses and gives him a challenge in Exodus chapter 3. This is God speaking to Moses. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the, land, from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God says, I'm going to lead my people on a journey, and it's going to be a pretty simple journey, really. There's only two parts to the journey. I'm going to lead them out of Egypt and I'm going to lead them into the promised land. And if you know anything about the geography of that region, you'll know that it's not even that far of a journey. Basically, it's straight across the Sinai Peninsula. I've got a map here that you've probably seen before. Um, You know, Egypt is over here. It's where where God's people were captive. The promised land is over here. Basically, it's a straight shot right across the, the... Sinai Peninsula. It's about a four to six week journey on foot. Uh, The Via Maris was there, the way of the sea, the way of the Philistines it was also called, a very well-known, very traveled trade route in that time. God doesn't take his people that way. Exodus 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. For God thought, if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people by the roundabout way, the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. God led his people by the roundabout way. Very strange. It would have been very disorienting to the Israelites. You look again, whoop, they're up here. Uh, they want to get over here. 
They're being led by God himself, pillar of cloud in the day, pillar of fire at night, kind of like the ultimate navigation system, right? And so they start following this pillar of cloud, but it doesn't go northeast. The pillar starts heading south. Wait, what? Does God not know where the directions are? Does God need to stop and you know, ask somebody at the gas station? God, do you not know where we're going? And so the question becomes, will the people follow God when they don't understand God? And will the people follow God when it seems like they're going in a direction other than the direction they want to end up? Will they have the faith, will they have the obedience to follow God while they're going in the roundabout way? And I raised that question because we all know about the roundabout way. It's that journey that we find ourselves on when we're not where we really want to be. And it's the path that we find ourselves on where we say, wait, I didn't sign up for this. This is not the direction I would have chosen to take. And I'm not sure how long I'm going to be on this journey, on this path, which is, for a lot of people, one of the most irritating things about God seems like God's not nearing as big a rush to get me where I need to be as I am to get where I need to be. Now, of course, this was no minor detour for the Israelites. This roundabout way that they were on lasted for 40 years. It's a long time to be where you don't want to be. They were in the desert. They were in the wilderness on this roundabout way. It was barren. It was dry and desolate. And... Again, they have no idea how long it's going to take. We know. We, didn't, we know looking back. They didn't know. Are we there yet? And I say that because a lot of people want to ignore the reality of the roundabout way. But we all know it's coming. Or we all know we're in the middle of one. That's what the path we're on. That there are times, that there are seasons in our lives that we just spend in the desert, figuratively times when our hearts ache over a loss and we're not sure why. Times when we long for something good to happen and we have faith that God can make something good happen. But it seems like God doesn't really want anything good to happen in my life right now. No issues with family and finances, loss of a job, loss of a loved one. There's some dream that you have spent you know, a lifetime looking forward to and you're getting to a place where you're thinking to yourself, this dream hasn't come true. And you're starting to wonder if the dream is ever going to come true. And you feel like with the dying of the dream, there's a little bit of you that's dying with it. You know, you're in the desert. You're on the roundabout way. Everybody knows about that way. I do and you do. We all do. But I want to be sure that you understand and that you're reminded that when you find yourself on the roundabout way, when you find yourself in the desert, it doesn't mean that God's forgotten about you. And it doesn't mean that God isn't, uh, isn't alive and well. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's doing. Just because you don't see it, just because it doesn't make sense to me, doesn't negate the fact that God's still leading us in fact, when you think about life in the desert, life on the roundabout way, I'm convinced God does some of his best work in the desert. Remember, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And there's things that, that we can learn 
on the roundabout way that we probably wouldn't learn any other path. In fact, sometimes you look back on your life and you realize I was shaped and I was molded more during desert time than those times when everything was so wonderful in my life. So I want to spend the rest of our time just a couple quick thoughts about life on the roundabout way. And the first is this. The roundabout way is the place where we learn patience. You know, patience is one of those things that we all want to have. None of us want to go through the pain of learning patience, right? Every day those Israelites would wake up and they would have to decide, am I going to follow God today? There's the pillar. Am I going to follow where that pillar leads me? Or if the pillar doesn't move, am I going to stay sitting? Am I going to stand still and patiently wait for God? While I'm on the roundabout way, am I going to be patient? Now, maybe for you, the roundabout way is being single. Maybe for you, the roundabout way is being married. Your your marriage has become kind of a desert experience. You had hopes and dreams that haven't come true. Will you patiently wait for God? Will you love your spouse one day at a time, even when it's not easy? We need to learn patience. I had an old coach that used to say, everything's hard before it comes easy. And I think there's some truth to that. Prophet Isaiah said this, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for Him. Blessed are all who wait for Him. The roundabout way is a path that I probably wouldn't choose for myself. It's a place that I probably don't want to be, but there's some things that I can learn while God's working on me there, and one of them is patience. Here's something else about this roundabout way. The roundabout way is often the place where God makes you strong. Remember God said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, nobody wants to be thought of as a weak person, right? It's not our culture. That's, that's not our message to our children. You don't want to be thought of as weak. God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. And instead of taking them straight across the way of the sea, the way of the Philistines, he takes them on this roundabout way, and he tells us why he does that. Remember why he said he did that? It's in the text. If, people, if my people face war, challenges, difficulties, there he's talking about the Philistines specifically, if my people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. God says this thing might be over before it even begins. So I'm not going to lead my people into the land of the Philistines because I don't want them facing war. And I've always read that. And I've always thought, why not? Why not march into the Philistine camp? Why not? You're God for crying out loud. Why don't you want them in the Philistine area? I mean, God could deliver the Israelites in any number of ways. God could do to the, to the Philistine army the same thing he did to the Pharaoh's army. They didn't have to fight that fight. They just watched them all get washed away, right? Could God not handle the Philistines? Of course he could but I'm not sure that the Israelites believed that yet. I'm not sure the Israelites really believed what God could do. I think they were frightened. You know, they'd been slaves for 400 years. 
For 400 years, that slave mentality was in them, deep within them. I heard someone say that it took one night for the Israelites to get out of Egypt. It took 40 years for Egypt to get out of the Israelites. God wanted them to know, listen, you belong to me. You are a child of mine. God wanted them to know, I'm the one who's going to make you strong. I'm the one who's going to protect you. I'll go back to 2 Corinthians 12, talking about that thorn in Paul's flesh. Notice what Paul goes on to say. Since I know it's all for Christ's good, I'm quite happy about the thorn and about insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Paul says, I can live in the desert. I can live on the roundabout way. And then he tells us why. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The less I have, the more I depend on him. You know, it's really not that hard to depend on God, to trust in God. It's not that hard to have faith in God when you're living in the land of milk and honey. When everything's going great, when life is wonderful, when your bank account's up and your weight's down and you look good and you feel good, it's pretty easy to trust in God then, right? Pretty easy to have faith. It is much more difficult when you find yourself in the desert, when you find yourself on the roundabout way. But that's the place where we get to say to God, God, no matter where you lead, I'll follow. Even in this roundabout way, I'm going to be committed to following you. And if it takes 40 years, I'll endure 40 years. And if it takes the rest of my life and I never do see it, and I never quite understand it this side of heaven, I'm not going to compromise my integrity. I'm not going to compromise my character. I'm going to follow the God that I trust. And I'll tell you something about God in deserts. God grows really strong people in the desert. You find someone who has a faith that you admire, You find a woman whose life you would like to emulate, a man whose faith that you just say, wow, where did that come from? I will guarantee they've spent time in the desert. They've spent time on the roundabout way because that's where God molds, that's where God shapes, that's where God strengthens. And then one final thought about the roundabout way. It's the place where you learn to love God just because he's God. Just because he's so good, not because of the milk and honey. When my kids were small, quite often on Sunday nights after services, we would go over here to the Sefner Pizza Hut with some other young families. And if you remember that, the Sefner Pizza Hut used to have the claw machine in the corner. And that that uh, machine that kind of Toy Story made famous. With the claw, you put 50 cents in, and there's this claw that you manipulate with a joystick, and you try to get it over these wonderful prizes, these beautiful, you know, expensive stuffed toys, and you press the button, and it goes down, and it may or may not bring something up. My kids loved the claw. Stephen Marsh's kids loved the claw. Everybody else that we were there with, you know, all their kids, they loved the claw. So we'd go to Pizza Hut, and we'd give them a couple bucks worth of quarters, and they'd all run to the corner of Pizza Hut. And, you know, we got 10 minutes of adult conversation, money well spent. 
And they would stand in the corner huddled around that thing and they'd scream and yell and cheer. Anybody want to guess how many prizes they ever won from the claw? I don't remember any. Martha said Nate won some. Okay, not many. But they would always come, you know, come traipsing back to the table, complaining, whining, upset. We didn't get anything. Listen, spiritually, life in the desert, life on the roundabout way, it's the place where you don't get what you want. You're not getting things that you want. You don't get the promotion. You don't get the girl. You didn't get the happy ending to your marriage that you always dreamed about. You're not getting the good report from the doctor that it seems like everybody else gets. You keep pumping those quarters in, but you're not getting the things that you're hoping to get. And that's when you've kind of got to ask yourself, and that's where you sort of find out, do I love God because He's God? Do I love God because He is just so good? Or do I love Him because of all the stuff He gives me? Jeremiah says this, I will bless the person who puts his trust in me. He's like a tree growing near a stream and sending out roots to the water. It is not afraid when hot weather comes because its leaves stay green. It has no worries when there is no rain. It keeps on bearing fruit. I don't think the desert was ever a place intended by God to be a place of punishment. I think it was a place where Israel learned to live in the love of God. Where Israel learned to trust God. You think about those Israelites, their time in the wilderness. They didn't have any great cities to build there in the wilderness. They didn't have businesses to begin. While they were in the wilderness, they didn't really have any great battles to win. It was just them and God. For 40 years, it's just them and God. And every day, God would send manna, just a little gift. And every day, there would be that pillar of cloud to lead them. Just a gift. Every night, that pillar of fire, protection, just a gift. There's a lot more going on on the roundabout way than these people realized. God was teaching them of patience, shaping and preparing them, teaching them to trust in Him, to rely on Him. And God was trying to prove to them in no uncertain terms, it's not about the land. It's not about the manna. It's not about the milk and honey. It's about me. It's about our relationship. It's about you being a child of mine. It's about you belonging to me. So, when you find yourself on the roundabout way, and you will, sooner or later, we all do, remember, life is not about the milk and honey. It's not about the job It's not about the house. It's not about the money. Oddly enough, it's in the desert where we find the only hope that's really worth having. It's we've learned where where God really wants to focus our hearts and our minds. So, are we there yet? No, we are not there yet. We're not even close to being there yet. 
But I'll tell you this, I, I think for the past two years, I think we've been on the roundabout way. I think as a world, as a country, as a church, I think we've been on the roundabout way for the past two years. Challenges, frustrations, disappointments. But again, I am convinced God does some of his best work in the desert. And I'm convinced that God is alive and well and active while we're struggling on the roundabout way. I say he does some of his best work in the desert, and I'll tell you why. He's been there. When Jesus came to this earth as a man, he didn't take the shortest route to the throne of glory, did he? He didn't take a shortcut. He went through the desert. He took the roundabout way. He came to this earth as a man. He came to this earth as a servant. He washed feet. He died on a cross. He lowered himself. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. He trusted his father. He trusted God to know what he was doing. And if Jesus can trust God to know what he's doing, so can we. Now, sometimes when everything seems to be taken away from us and we find that all we really have is God, we finally realize all we really need is God. God is enough. And sometimes we find out that the roundabout way actually turned out to be the best way yet. So, that's my encouragement for this morning, to realize that God is doing something. He's teaching us patience. He's showing us power. He wants us to fall more deeply in love with him. Hope moving forward on this roundabout way, we can remember who it is we serve and what God's calling us to do and to be. If we can, as a church family, help you in any way, we're going to invite you to come to the front and you can speak to some people who are there at the front of the auditorium. We've got a song that we're going to sing as a song of encouragement. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, as we sing.